It's all about the little outfit. (laughs) (laughs) I live for a little outfit. And more importantly, I live for seeing other people in little outfits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's so interesting because I feel like the community that I'm in out here is is little outfit focused y- you know are we going yes. to a bar little outfit are we going to someone's house for a movie night little outfit but jammies edition you know it's always people putting together a look which is so inspiring and what i want to do all the time and i am i am either in leggings or sweatpants or a little outfit and basically nothing in between But here's the thing. The leggings and sweatpants can be a little outfit if you just (laughs) say it is. You just have to lean in like extra hard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's true. That's very, very true. It's max leggings. (laughs) Max leggings. I don't even know what that means, but now I want three pairs. Maximum leggings. (laughs) Maximum leggings, ultimate sweatshirt. The new Dance Dance Revolution craze. (laughs) God, where did that even come from? I was watching a movie recently that had Dance Dance Revolution in it. What movie has Dance Dance Revolution in it? It must have been ancient, but because it was like Dance Dance Revolution, like at a... An arcade? Oh, no. I I was watching Arcane and they do the like fighting thing that's like fighting Dance Dance Revolution. Got it. Got it. Wow. That was was a full A to... We pass C. We're all the way in PQ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the reason Tracy and I are talking about little outfits is because tomorrow we're going to a good society LARP. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. This is my first good society LARP. Oh, Trace, you're going to love it. So it's the vibe is Jane Austen, but Jane Austen little outfit. Like there's no rules. We've talked. I mean, we've everyone's been talking about this. There's no rule. You can really wear whatever you want. Oh, yeah. Rowan has a gorgeous floor length floral gown and we're going to do her hair with like curls and flower crowns and it's going to be all ethereal meets Jane Austen. I'm so excited. And then Tracy is wearing a black floral gown that is very twirly. Yes. Uh, And if I don't get at least one twirl, it's over. And have we decided if we're putting flowers in your hair or if you're going a completely different route? We've got flowers. We've got pearls. We've got crowns. It's going to be we're going to see what the mood of the moment is. (laughs) I feel like it should be probably embarrassing if you're. If you're invested in hating your own nerddom to be like, we're going to a LARP, but I'm so excited. I am genuinely thrilled because the last time you did this, you talked about it on the podcast and I was like, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And so while I am out here, you made sure that it was something that I got to do because the people that we're going to get to LARP with are some of the coolest, nicest, funniest, cleverest, most amazing people ever. So... That's like an extra bonus on top of just getting to live my Jane Austen fantasy. I know. Everyone's going to show up all hot and ready to have political romantic intrigue going on. Good society is always political or romantic intrigue. It's Bridgerton, but I don't know. Maybe it's just Bridgerton. I I don't know. It's just Bridgerton because Bridgerton is already fantasy Jane Austen. But I don't know. I'll report back and we will obviously (laughs) share photos on our Instagram of course. 
Maybe a TikTok. Well, it depends on how invested we are in, in being in the time period. Last time we LARPed, we LARPed for 14 hours. Mm-hmm. And I will say the phones go away. So it's like pictures and looks and then everyone's phones go away and we're like in it to win it. So we have to have our eye on the prize and remember we want pictures or yes. it's going to be <laughs> we're going to miss our moment. Yeah, it's memories only. Hey, hi, I'm Rowan Hall. I'm memories only. Hey, hi, <laughs> I'm Tracy Harrison. I'm a picture babe. You really are. And this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Each week, we research a topic from history or mythology, and then we write an original story to go along with that topic. So if you'd like to support our show, think about becoming a patron at patreon.com slash willingandfable. You can also support us by listening to this episode for a second time on a podcast streaming service that you don't normally use. It'll be fun. You can hear me say this sentence not once but twice. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate the extra listens. <laughs> we so do. And we have some listeners we need to thank this week. We have two new patrons, Andre A. and Helen G., Thank you so much for joining our Willing and Fable family, and your support is what makes this podcast possible. Thank you so much. We're so happy to have you in our little community, our corner of the world. Mm -hmm. We also have to thank our listener, Amanda B., for messaging us on our website after we were talking about our Tamagotchis dying. <sighs> uh, we downloaded the Finch app per your recommendation and it's basically like mental health Neopets. Yes, we've, we have been obsessed with it this last week because you have these cute little birds and then they go on adventures and our birds can visit each other. And then whenever we do the things we're supposed to, like drink water or brush your teeth or do your dishes or whatever you assign for yourself, then your bird gets little bonuses. And it's it really is mental health Neopets. Not me realizing I needed to tell my bird that I drank water. <laughs> Well, we're, we're doing this right now. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely not sponsored, although we wish it was. But we just really love our sweet bird babies. I don't think I'd be as into it if you weren't doing it with me. No, it's the it's the community. It's the fact that I can have my bird walk over to your little bird nest and give you a virtual bird hug. Right, right. Or I can it gives you little like proverbs little quotes <laughs> and i could just send them to tracy but i'm not sending you the ones that are normal i will only send you the kind of unhinged ones that's all i want so thanks for the recommendation amanda uh also hours of my life are gonna be gone to this app so but this feels better this feels more productive than hours of my life gone to keeping this tamagotchi alive which by the way mine still is alive even though i've been ignoring it almost entirely for a few days yet when i ignored it for two hours on one day it decided to die i can't explain it it knows now now it's living out of spite i will say i sacrificed my tamagotchi to the finch gods i let mine die <laughs> I, I can't explain every because my thing is when I see it sitting there and it needs something I can't just walk away so if I notice it and it needs something I give it just what it needs and then I walk away for like six hours and then I come back and do it again and apparently that's what it needs to live maybe it's modeled after its mother oof ow that one hits close to home anyway Rowan what is the topic today so today I'm doing another mini myth because Tracy's in LA we're working on a fun secret project we can't tell you yet Enjoy the anticipation. Oh, wait, sorry, Tracy, let me do that again. Enjoy the antissa. 
anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> so today I'm covering telling the bees. And a quick content warning, this episode is all about a tradition that surrounds death and grief. And I'm really excited to cover this because I've known about it for a long time, but it was recently brought back to my attention when I took Tracy to the Jurassic Museum. Oh, yeah. So we had mentioned the Museum of Jurassic Technology in a previous episode when you got to visit it. And it was one of my many demands when I came out here that I wanted to see it. And it was so cool. Yeah, it's... I don't know. It's the best. I Again, I hate that I keep being like this. I can't tell anymore. I don't want to spoil that museum for anyone. No, I feel the same way. Um, you can't spoil it. And the thing is, their website doesn't even spoil it. I went to the website after we went to be like, what does it say? And like, what do they tell you about the museum? And it, it really doesn't say much. So um, for anyone out in LA, check out the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Which was a ballsy choice. They have no advertising. But people know it. Yeah. Anyway, the cool thing that that museum does is reference a lot of Willing and Fable-esque topics. <laughs> it really does. So the folkloric tradition of telling the bees is simply the act of a beekeeper or head of a household going to the honeybee hives of a property or estate and telling the honeybees about any significant life changes. JSTOR Daily writes, quote, This practice of telling the bees may have its origins in Celtic mythology, where the presence of a bee after death signified the soul leaving the body. But the tradition appears to have been most prominent in the 18th and 19th centuries in the U.S. and Western Europe. The ritual involves notifying honeybees of major events in the beekeeper's life, such as a death or marriage. While the traditions varied from country to country, telling the bees always involved notifying the insects of a death in the family so that the bees could share in the morning. This generally entailed draping each hive with black crepe or some other shred of black. It was required that the sad news be delivered to the hive individually by knocking once and then verbally relaying the tale of sorrow. It's such a fascinating tradition. Tell me you don't have therapy. Without telling me you don't have therapy. <laughs> yeah, at this point, therapy just wasn't invented yet. It wasn't. Well, y you know, we could flip that on its head and say that this was a part of the process of inventing therapy or a part of a tradition of things that now need therapy being a more community based activity and then that being derived back into a solo activity. So we see in a lot of. Uh, pre-Christian communities that we study on the show, that grief is a process for everyone in the group. It's not a solo activity. It's not withdrawing only into your household and being sad all on your own. There are a lot of rituals that surround death. And then Victorian society said yes to the rituals, but also maybe no to the community at large. Maybe, sort of. Yes and no. I mean, they, they definitely had some community practices. We've talked about it before, the idea of covering mirrors. Like, they, mm -hmm. you, you're right, they're the rituals, but people would come to the house and have mourning. And that's something we still do today where you get together for a mourning process. But what I find really interesting about telling the bees is the idea of, you know, the term beekeeper. You know, you're not a bee owner or mm -hmm. bee farmer. You're a beekeeper because you don't, um, you know, necessarily 
buy bees and put them in an apiary and then they just live there. The bees have to choose that as their hive and you just have to make it really hospitable and make it a place they want to be. And tying that into the idea of community, the idea of these free spirits, the idea of these creatures you need to welcome and bring into the household community is really interesting. Yeah, it it was really difficult for me in this episode to not research beekeeping practices and beekeeping mythology in other parts of the world because you could take this really far. So I'll probably have to do another episode on it at some point. And I would love that. <laughs> the thing that intrigues me so much about Victorian mourning is we see the community, like you mentioned, covering mirrors, inviting people into receiving rooms where you have the body either uh, usually traditionally in a coffin. Um, mm -hmm. It's not necessarily displayed. No, they weren't the best at preserving bodies at that point in time. Right. It's not displayed in the traditional sense of sea body, but it is displayed in traditional sense of like body is available to be interacted with in, in a mm -hmm. sort of way. Uh, but Victorian society also had a lot of very strict rules. So mourning was not like keening. We're not seeing the Irish practice mm -mm. that is loud and uh, and it almost feels as expansive as grief can feel to me. It's, it's a very constrained set of rituals. And the telling of the bees to me kind of sits in this little in-between place. Yeah. That's so intriguing. So the tradition did vary from place to place. In his 1886 text, A Book About Bees, Charles Fitzgerald Gambier Jennings, a British Victorian apiarist and rector, says the news of death should be relayed at midnight, which is like the most punk rock version. I love that. Some believed that this tragic message must be sung and mm. to go further must even rhyme Tammy Horn, an apiarist and literary scholar, provides an example in her 2005 book, Bees in America, How the Honeybee Shaped a Nation. She suggests saying, quote, bees, bees, awake, your master is dead and another you must take. After the death of Queen Elizabeth II, the royal beekeeper John Chapel went to the bees of both Buckingham Palace and Clarence House to tell them of her passing. And this is one of the most famous stories of someone actually telling the bees, probably because it's an incredibly famous person who passed. Mm -hmm. He told the press what he said to the bees, explaining, quote, You knock on each hive and say, the mistress is dead, but don't you go. Your master will be a good master to you. And that's kind of the central crux of it. Like, hey, hi, things are things are dramatic here in the human world. Your human is gone, but the next human is still going to hook you up, I promise. Please don't leave. Please, please don't leave. We're going to be great. It's it's just, it's a new generation. We love you. Please stay. Thank you, um, XOXO, <laughs> your beekeeper. It's seen as a good omen if the bees buzz after receiving this news. Interesting, isn't... I don't know much about bees, except for the uh, surprising amount of bee videos I watch on TikToks. Isn't bees buzzing like mean they're angry that's kind of what i was thinking too but bees also have that hum mm -hmm. in a hive that's not quite like a buzz if but it does make a sound so i wonder if maybe 
all of the writers that wrote about this said buzzing because in our world bees buzz like what sound does a cat make meow like maybe it's just Mm -hmm. if the bees make noise (laughs) if we have beekeeper listeners please write in if we have beekeeper listeners please write in with anything you want to talk about Absolutely. I'm fascinated by beekeeping, which is surprising for someone who so doesn't like bugs. And if a bee is near me, will run away in tears. I also do not like bugs. I am not afraid of bees, though. I'm down with bees. I love them. I think they're cute. I think they're adorable. It's just something about when they're near me, my body reacts before my brain and I'm just gone. I also, but I also, well, one, I'm not allergic to bees, so I don't mind getting stung by them. I, you know, that's on me, really, if it happens. Mm-hmm. It's, and they're not crawly. They, I mean, they do crawl, mm-hmm. they're bugs, but, you know, they're just doing their little bee life. There's not as much scurry factor I have to worry about. Mm-hmm. As we know from the brownies episode, I'm a little bit afraid of a scurry. <laughs> I did forget about that. That's very true. It's a good way to describe it. Tammy Horn also describes the practice of ricking. This ritual required the eldest son of a family in mourning to come and shift all of the hives to the right. This would signify an important change had occurred. If the deceased was being waked in the home, the son must shift all of the hives so that their entrances faced the house in mourning. Bees may even be invited to a funeral, or food like funeral biscuits or drink like wine may be left at their hive. And I read an anecdote about a beekeeper who passed, and then the bees weren't told, and they weren't invited to the funeral. And when they were hosting this wake in kind of a tent outside, Mm -hmm. the bees, there were just hundreds of bees that just clustered up in the top of the tent and didn't do anything did not buzz i guess just hung out they just said hey we're invited actually um this is our party now it it seems like it could be a wives tale but it's a good one imagine a funeral which is the mm, lots of little bees Ooh, that is like i don't know why that's so visceral to me just this the sound that bees make i think is the thing that makes me like flinch more than anything but morning should be visceral that's my thing morning should be visceral and you could argue that the victorian practice of covering mirrors is maybe not visceral but also maybe it kind of is oh no i love that one because if you don't cover the mirrors you're stuck with a ghost yeah I love covering the mirrors. I think there's just this, the psychology and the mythology around mirrors is something I really love to cover because, like, I've had a fascination with that since I was a little kid. Mirrors are are so intriguing, especially mm-hmm. in kind of the UK, the Germanic, Celtic, watching those practices get distilled down into high society. But, like, I won't have a mirror facing my bed if I can help it, which is saying something because I live in apartments and a lot of times – that's the way the room is laid out. But mirrors are doors in mythology. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're smoke cleansing the doors in your home, you're supposed to do it to the mirrors too. Anyway, this is an episode about bees, not mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's not Willing and Babel without a, just a fun tangent. <laughs> My personal favorite way of telling the bees about someone's passing gives us a little clue into another 
story that this practice was born of, folks would say, little brownies, little brownies, your master or mistress is dead. Mm. So if you'll recall our brownies episode, our episode on tutelary spirits, likening bees to brownies does kind of imply that there's a tutelary spirit element like they are responsible or their will affects the well-being of the home which is what you're seeing here if you don't tell these bees bad things will happen for example if the bees are not put into mourning then misfortune would fall upon their keepers In the 1899 book, The Honeymakers, biologist Margaret Warner Morley described numerous tales where the bees were not told of their keeper's passing, and then the bees fell ill or died, which is a very expensive resource to lose. And difficult one to obtain. Exactly. So telling them is a pretty low stakes ask compared Mm -hmm. to the option of having all of your bees die. Yeah. On the positive side of this, in the case of marriages, beekeepers would often provide cake and flowers with the information telling the bees about what was happening. Some traditions included draping the hives with scarlet cloth. In Westphalia, Germany, newlyweds were instructed to introduce themselves to the bees or else the marriage might be unlucky. And this may be related to uh, needing to give thanks for the large amount of honey that would be utilized in wedding celebrations. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially if you keep the idea that bees are their own entities with thoughts and feelings related to the household, it makes so much sense. It was thought that bees were linked to both the physical and spiritual worlds, perhaps being carried from an ancient Grecian belief. Uh, We've talked in the past about the way ancient Grecian practices made their way into the Celtic Germanic traditions. Mm -hmm. We see that with brownies as a really great example. So it's very funny to see it with these bees. In Celtic lore, you could tell a message to a bee and it would carry it to the spirit of someone who was dead. Ooh. That is so punk rock. Yeah. And it, it plays with the idea of bees being the spirits of the dead or bees coming out of the body of a dead person and just that whole concept. Oh, God, that's so visual. Mm-hmm. It's also worth acknowledging that humans rely on bees for pollinating the majority of our crops. This practice spread across Europe and made its way to North America. And you can see the interaction between bees and the crops that we consume as our primary food sources absolutely um and two things one there's such a thing as a pollinator garden which you can plant just bee friendly plants and you see those all over and the other thing i will be extremely remiss if i don't say as this is what i'm known for the other big pollinators in america are bats so protect bats Bees and goth bees. Bees and goth. <laughs> Daytime bees and nighttime bees. Oh. <laughs> I'll jump ahead, actually. I was going to save this for the end, but since we're talking about it, according to JSTOR Daily, bees pollinate 70 of the 100 crops that feed 90% of the world. Wow. 
It's generally believed today that if bees were to go extinct, that humans would not be far behind. So Tracy's right, there are bee-friendly gardens. The top links in today's show notes provide suggestions to help care for the honeybees that we rely on, including the types of gardens you can plant. My personal favorite and most delicious way to help the bees is to purchase local honey at the farmer's market Mm -hmm. or a lot of grocery stores carry it now. This is said to be quite good for your allergies. I'm not sure the exact science behind it. Don't mess this up for me, Tracy. I have very bad allergies and I like honey. (laughs) Enjoy it. It's so good for the local community and it's so helpful for local beekeepers. There's just not enough of the local pollen in any single amount that you're going to eat that it's really going to turn your allergies around. (laughs) But like... I still want people to support their local beekeepers. The best part is my next sentence was this science is questionable, but don't mess this up for me. Sorry. (laughs) Here's the thing. I'm so sniffly in the springtime that if there were even one molecule of improvement to my Mm -hmm. life from eating honey, honey is so delicious that I, I really can rationalize this. And I think that's fair. And I think that's valid. And you should do it because at the very least, it it might help your allergies a little, but it's definitely going to help local beekeepers. And so you got to win, 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 win. Exactly. You always support me. Thank you. (laughs) Before I dive into my story, I would be remiss If I didn't read a portion of the 1858 poem by American poet John Greenleaf Whittier called Telling the Bees. Mm. If you look up Telling the Bees, you will find this poem or this exact portion of the poem, if not it in its entirety. Before them, under the garden wall, forward and back, went drearily singing the chore girl small, draping each hive with a shred of black. Trembling I listened, the summer sun, had the chill of snow, for I knew she was telling the bees of one, gone on the journey we all must go. And the song she was singing ever since, in my ears sounds on, Stay at home, pretty bees, fly not hence, Mistress Mary is dead and gone. I... On one hand, I love this poem because this guy is like, oh, cool. I get to see this hot girl that I haven't seen for a while that I've really missed. Oh, no. She's telling the bees about a death. My wooing. Oh, no. What will I do? (laughs) Poor guy has so many feelings all wrapped up into such a short poem. (laughs) But I will say I was trying to read this poem the other night when I was researching and it was so late. I could not get the rhyme scheme for some reason like every time I tried to read it it didn't have any flow Mm -hmm. and I think that that has affected my relationship with this poem for the negative oh I can totally understand that feeling where you're like listen you and me we're not clicking we're not vibing I respect you for what you are but it's not for us (laughs) to to go on together unflinching support ladies and gentlemen (laughs) boys and girls friends and foes get yourself a Tracy Solidarity every time. I tell you what. (laughs) All right. Are you ready for a story? I'm so ready for a what I'm assuming is going to be a sad B story. How dare you make correct assumptions about (laughs) me? I still think about how accurately you called me out on the Radcliffe Hall episode, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Okay, I deserve this. (laughs) All right. I love you very much. I can't wait to hear the story. I'm going to be quiet now. The young man could not think of a rhyme for grief, 
or rather, he could not think of an appropriate rhyme that could follow, Hello, bees. My mother has died. It was unexpected, or at least I was surprised. Perhaps I should not have been. They tell me she was unwell, but will say no more about it. I am here on this beautiful, sunny, flower-filled afternoon in my tight black clothing to tell you she is gone. Apparently, if I do not, you will stop producing honey. Or without this information, you may grow sickly and die. And wouldn't it be incredibly dreary to walk among the corpses of hundreds upon hundreds of sweet little honeybees whilst we mourn? My brother should be the one to tell you. He's the eldest son. But he won't take part in such foolishness. I find this exceedingly funny. I find nearly everything exceedingly funny lately. How is speaking to the bees any more foolish than hosting dinner whilst my mother lies dead in the receiving room? Is it not hilarious to perfume a corpse, to purchase new clothing, to eat, to write letters or button jackets, or even to say hello now that my mother is dead? I'm also meant to sing this all to you, but you'll have to forgive me. I have a terrible voice, and I'm worried it might drive you to stinging me to hear it. All of this news is also meant to rhyme. That is what the apiarist said. <laughs> Damn it. You'll have to forgive me again for being a fool. I've heard there's no better excuse for such things than grief. So there it was that the young man stood in the midst of the flowering field under the golden sunlight. He did not cry, though he would have liked to very much. He could tell that his shoulders were beginning to hunch with the weight of it, and his smile was growing uncomfortably taut. The only word he could think of that rhymed with grief was belief, and that seemed like an unwise choice. On the one hand, he would have to discuss the way he thought everything was going to fall into devastation and melancholic disarray now that his mother was gone. Then he would have to somehow twist his sentences so that the word belief ended up at the end despite every rule of grammar dictating otherwise. The other option was to tell the bees about how wonderful everything would stay, even though the lady of the house, his mother, was no longer with them. This was a lie that closed around the young man's throat and made him nearly double over choking. Lying to the bees seemed like a perversion of the exercise, so he merely coughed around the idea. After a few long minutes, he said, in a soft, wry whisper, "'Ah, oh, look, a leaf.' and kicked his shoe toward the forest by way of explanation. How was anyone meant to grieve on the most beautiful sunny day the year had ever offered? All the great books promised rain, torrential downpours, mud, and desolation upon the death of a loved one. Thunder would roll through his chest to coax his wailing. But the young man had to tell each of the eight hives individually. And that was only the first. So he continued, She is dead. Hive number two. My mother is dead. I am alone, and time is short, and I forgot to ask for the recipe for her wonderful scones. They had honey in the batter, I believe, and no one can make them quite like she does, did. They were quite good. Hive three. And I found one of her handkerchiefs in a jacket pocket, and now I feel that even her snot is endearing, and I am alone, so I keep it with me even now. Hive four. I am alone. Hive five. I am alone. Hive six. 
How dare the sun shine? How dare you buzz about? How dare we go on eating and sleeping and working and managing and taxes and parties and prattling conversation while I walk through a home that will hold the body of my mother, the woman who made me, in a jar on the mantel for as long as I live and possibly longer? Hive seven. Hello, little bees. My mother is dead. Hive eight. The young man sat in the grass, listening to the hum of the bees for a long time after that. He'd killed a bee in his efforts to rotate the hives to face the house, another silly task that was suddenly not any sillier than any other task. He placed the creature he squashed back onto the hive, imagining, at first, that the bees would have a similar morning practice to the one dictated to him by the beekeeper. But he was wrong. The young man watched, in the dying light of the third day after his mother's passing, as the bees dragged their dead colony member to the edge of the hive and pushed it off into the grass, where it lay until a troop of ants came to collect it for food. They carried the creature on their backs, marching in a line down into the earth. The bees of the hive did not notice. In the days that followed, the man, who felt like a boy, sat and stood and smiled and nodded at the line of people who scurried about in black clothing, whispering words of comfort that felt, above all, utterly uncomfortable. Every so often, he was overcome by a manic urge to push one of the mourners into the garden, just like the fallen bee. He kept to himself, for the most part. It felt unjust to foist his grief upon anyone else— Everyone else was already mourning and crying without his adding to their burden. So his days transformed into long periods of sitting alone in each room of the house, working on the forms and tedium that accompanied funerals, and disappearing whenever opportunity allowed. Nothing felt, looked, or sounded quite like it did only a week before, but nothing was different enough to align with the grand world alteration of death. Food tasted like nothing at all. Which is very likely why it took him so long to notice that there was honey in everything the household ate. There was a brief period that he refused all food entirely, but when he began to take his meals, the flavor was undeniable. On some items, the honey was subtle, a soft sweetness that whispered across the tongue. On other foods, the flavor was saturated, as if every mouthful were sopping with the sticky, saccharine sunshine. This was a part of the ritual of death and the telling of the bees he knew. Or thought he knew, rather. The young man had never experienced death, and so there was no ritual for him. Every practice was the first, and therefore not a practice at all. One night, when the remainder of the family was together over dinner— honey heavy on their tongues and sadness heavier in the air, he thought to ask why this syrup flavored every single meal they ate, seeming to linger into every moment. But he did not ask, and he continued not to ask, his mouth glued firmly shut. Then it had all gone on for too long, and it seemed that he ought to know the answer by now. Once a practice is formed— it's almost inappropriate to ask why it began. Gradually, the flavor of honey went away. No one mentioned it. But one day, the young man realized that he tasted the cloying sweetness only rarely, and when he did, it was not a shock, but certainly not anticipated. 
That was a surprise unto itself. When he tasted it now, the man liked to think back to his time with the bees and the sunshine of the day and the recipe of the scones and his mother's tissue still tucked into the back of the back of his sock drawer. Honey is sweet that way. His brother died some years later, around the time the family stopped eating honey altogether. This death was not unexpected. Unlike before, in his brother's absence, it was the now-older man's turn to tell the bees of the tragedy. This time, he did not mind the sun or the flowers. He did not try to smile or rhyme or do anything at all. He merely said five times, for there were fewer beehives now. My brother is dead. I will miss him very much. Hello, bees. My brother is dead, and he will be missed by many, I think. The master of the house, my brother, is dead. I miss my brother. He's dead, you know. This time, he did not rotate the hives, deciding that the squishing of a member would be more tragic for the colony than a bad view of the funeral proceedings. Besides, the hives were quite heavy for him to move now. Then, for the last and final telling, he sat in the grass among the hives and began speaking in a low voice. Once, when I was very young, my brother pushed me into that pond over there. He laughed softly. And my parents had to fish me out. My mother was screaming the entire time, poor thing. We laughed about it for years. In the fading sunshine, among the hum of the peas and the salt of tears, the older man, who still felt like a boy, could taste honey. I have a feeling I'm going to think about this story every time that I eat honey for a really long time. Oh, did I curse you? <laughs> in a in a like bittersweet kind of pleasant way, like in a in a way that's I'm not mad about. It was really beautiful. Thank you. I uh, death is I think at its most beautiful in the times that it's not beautiful. Grief is weird. Yeah, I wish I had a more eloquent way to respond to that because it feels like when you're not in it, you should be able to speak about it beautifully, but it's just hard and weird and there's no right or wrong way to feel it or experience it. And often I found the ways that I expect myself to react are in no ways the way that I actually do. Yeah, I I, I think that the telling of the bees kind of has that energy to it. Like, okay, this person that I love is now gone forever I suppose I'll just march out and tell these insects about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also there's that same kind of feeling where it's, oh, okay, this person that I love is dead. I suppose I'll have breakfast. Mm-hmm. Or I guess I'll get in my car and fill my gas tank. Like all of the things sound so weird. It feels like the world is supposed to stop because your world has stopped and the shock and dissonance of everything and everyone else continuing on is, it's just hard. It's just strange. So I know that's, that's a feeling that I've had. And this really captured that, the, the way that you were stuck in a moment while everything else goes on. Mm. I, it's so interesting. I love that you 
got that because I never find the time stops when I'm in grief. And so I do not, I did not write for time to stop mm-hmm. because to me that it's just st- always still constantly going. And I, I don't have the moment of I'm stopped and the world is going. I'm like, could we all just stop for a second? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not how it ever feels to me. Mm-hmm. Um, even internally. And so I, when I explore grief, I often try to capture that like manic, like laughter feeling that I yeah. have. Like I think I like, I tighten up so much that I, I'm like the laugh at the funeral person. Yeah. Uh, so the telling of the bees just has that weird, funny silliness to it. And I do think funerals and death probably should. It's, it is actually really okay to laugh when people die because life is absurd Mm -hmm. and therefore dying is also absurd. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but that's that. That's our little mini myth about... Bees and death, baby. Great job. Really great job this week. I know you're excited to cover the telling of the bees and you knocked it out of the park. Thanks. It's it's fun doing these simple little stories. It's also hard because the way I had to not talk about ancient Egyptian beekeeping. No, which is why I really want a whole new episode on this, please. I love bees. I do too. Bees are good. Go save the bees, everyone. Or let the bees save you. (laughs) Go to therapy. Go out to bee therapy. Go to your local beekeeper and say, hey, therapy is expensive. Healthcare in the United States is rough. Do you mind if I just sit out here and have a quick chat with your bees? Yeah, do that. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone's bold enough to do that, please let me know. I would. I know where bees are in our hometown. I I know I could ask, but out out in LA, I have no clue. There's a festival in Philadelphia. I wonder if they still do it. They definitely did pre-pandemic um, at the Wagner Museum, which is in North Philly. It's a free or or pay what you want museum, um, and it's a museum from the 1810. So the whole thing is it's like a museum frozen in time. It hasn't really mm-hmm. changed since 1810. And in the backyard in the summer or early spring, they have a honey festival. And so they'll have mead and honey and beekeepers come by. And my friend did this thing where she let like hundreds of bees just be on her hand. And I know I was very proud of her. She was excited to do it. Wasn't for me, but I really enjoyed a lot of honey. Um, So just look around. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff in your community for that and support local beekeepers and protect the bees. Um, Because clearly, as Rowan pointed out, we desperately need them. A lot of our listeners have been writing to us recently, like a lot, which is so kind and wonderful. And it has been such a treat. I feel like every day, sometimes even twice a day, I've been able to go, Tracy, someone wrote to us. And especially lately, it's just been such a treat because we've been working very hard. So keep it up, y'all. And if you do go talk to bees or a singular bee about your woes or your good news or even let's say an animal or creature that is not your pet Mm -hmm. (laughs) i want to hear how it goes (laughs) yes please uh all right tracy pretend i'm a bee and tell me Mm -hmm. something good so originally my something good uh was the jurassic technology museum which we've talked about which was incredible i think we ended up staying there for like four hours just exploring 
It was so um, good. It was so good. But since we've talked about that, I'll just also briefly say getting to be out in LA and, and a combination of meeting so many amazing new people and then getting to physically in person see and be with people like Kaylee and Spencer is like so exciting because they've been virtual friends for so much of our connection that it's cool to get to see them in person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you are so integrated in my life and we, the four of us, so you and I and, and Spencer and Kaylee and I, more of our friends even communicate so regularly via technology that it, everyone feels very present. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It, you being out here is like, oh boy, would I like to be able to make a sweetness and honey reference, but it's good. <laughs> Something, something, sweetness and honey. <laughs> something, something, honey. <laughs> All right, Rowan, so now it's your turn to tell me something good. Um, <laughs> it's hard. I can't believe I'm going to say this. It's hard to think of as something good because my something good is just still you being out here. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is cheating. But I will say my something good is a specific factor of you being out here is we... Tracy and I have gotten to be creative together 24-7 mm -hmm. for the last chunk of time. Yeah. And I feel very lucky and I would like to go back to like 2020 me and say, you are not going to believe this, my gal. <laughs> it's wild it looking back at 2020 being like you have no idea what's coming for you and how lovely things are going to be like it's so special yeah and so it seems like a continuation of last week something good because it is <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it because it's about me it's not cheating and i love it so thanks for joining us this week for another little mini myth yeah thank you all so much for joining us and remember that stories grow with the telling so if you like what we do, tell a B. Oh, I was gonna do it. <laughs> I know. I stole it. I stole it from you. Or telephone. <laughs> Here, how about this? Tell a B friend. Or tell a B foe. <laughs> and we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our logo is by Jamie Harrison, and our music is by Taylor Ash. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Bzzz. 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 Bzzz.